I recently heard a talk by a woman named Lisa Damour. Uh, some of you may have heard about her. She's written many books, and she's a specialist on teen uh, mental health, teen psychology. Um, and she shared about an interesting thing that um, all of us kind of are touched by. Um, whoever you are, whatever age you are, your life experience has caused you to have a sense of norms. What is normative for you? What you come to expect and what you think is, is the way people should be and behave and, and what we should be oriented towards? Well, it turns out that in your life, when you're a teenager, you are the most easily formed. Just biologically, that is the time when you take in the information and it forms what your view of norms are going to be most of the rest of your life. And so right now, the tricky thing is that so much of life is lived online. And the way social media operates is they have algorithms. And so when you're on social media, if you click on something, it's recorded. If you even pause on something or whatever you search for will affect what the algorithms are going to do. And so whatever you are looking at, if you're a teenager, for example, and you click on certain things, that's what you're going to be fed more of. And that's how norms are formed, through exposure, the more and more of the same. And this is something for us to be watching, for us to be concerned about. Of course, whatever draws clicks is often, we know, conflict, or people being narcissistic, or anything that's extreme. This doesn't just happen for teenagers, but for adults, too. We get into these bubbles that are being fed into people's eyeballs. And the norms that we take for granted, it's worth saying, uh, for years and years and generations, all norms haven't always been good norms. It is good for norms to be questioned and to be reassessed, and sometimes for norms to end and new norms to be formed. But at least the norms from before were formed by communities in real life, and those are going to be different norms. In this time when norms are suddenly more up for grabs than ever before, we should be mindful about what norms are we going to break and what norms are we going to uphold? In the gospel reading today, a lot happens. It starts out, we hear about the tax collector, Matthew, and Jesus then breaks a norm. The tax collectors were uh, to be shunned. They were socially unacceptable for polite Jewish society. But Jesus, instead of shunning Matthew, walks up to him and he says, famously, follow me. And then Matthew, it's kind of an incredible story. It, it's told in various gospels. Um, I always wonder what was going on in his mind. He had this life. This was uh, his livelihood. And he gets up from his booth and he follows. What was it that he heard? What did he see? What did he experience when Jesus walked by? But he does. And then to make matters even worse for Jesus, Jesus invites him to his table, and he has a meal with Matthew and apparently some other tax collectors and other sinners, and he takes flack for it. He's breaking norms. And then he continues on walking, and suddenly uh, a woman comes up to him who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, 
And if you understand the purity codes, she was ritually unclean, which means for 12 years she was put out of society, having to live as an outcast. Her life socially was dead. But she knows, just like Matthew sitting at the tax, book, tax booth, she senses something, that there could be a life for her. And she goes up and she knows if she touches the fringe of his clothing, she would be made well, and she does, and she is made well. But then here again, Jesus breaks a norm very clearly. Um, he would have been made ritually unclean by having physical contact with her, but instead of rebuking her or being upset, he praises her for her faith. And then finally, we have the story about the leader of the synagogue whose daughter has died, and he goes to Jesus and asks him to come and bring life to the daughter. Again, another individual who senses that in this individual is life, life that can overcome death. And Jesus does. And when Jesus arrives, it's actually quite a scene. You've got people um, in, that, in those days, sometimes there were professional mourners. They were out in front playing flutes and wailing and crying. And Jesus tells them, there's no reason for you to be mourning. The girl is going to be, is going to be fine. She's going to live. And he goes up and he takes her hand again. Contact with a dead body is not something that was acceptable in, in Jesus' Jewish culture. And, but he did that. He made contact. He broke that norm, but doing so in a way that gave life. In Romans um, chapter 4, 17, which um, we heard the Romans reading first, and I, I know the Romans <laughs> reading, all of Paul's readings are dense, and it is uh, hard. You can do a whole sermon on every single line, but one line that you may have missed that I want to lift out for you is where Paul expresses that God is the one who gives life to the dead. That is God's norm. And Jesus lives that and shows that in his way of being in the world. And I have to comment this weekend of all weekends, one beautiful um, thing that we get to witness, how norms are changing. This is Pride Weekend, and to see that for many, not for all, and for in many places, but not in all places, more and more people can be who they are and be accepted and be loved. And they can love who they love in the open. Some norms need to change in good and life-giving ways. So a few weeks ago, I got to attend my college 25th reunion. Um, it, I went there with my family and it was a wonderful gathering to see old friends and if you've ever been to a reunion after a bunch of years, some people look the same and some people you don't even recognize. Um, and many people have their children with them. And one of the things they did, which was interesting, is they had in the morning, two of the mornings, they had classes that you could take that were held in lecture halls, just as if you were an undergrad student all over again. And they had some of the most popular professors giving talks, and you could choose which lectures to attend. Um, they had one on climate science, one on acting and acting theory. Um, there was uh, one on American history. One was actually a talk given by the Dean of Admissions, and the college that I went to was Yale, and it turns out, according to the Dean of Admissions, now nobody gets in 
So that was, that was a very sad talk, <laughs> especially for those of us with teenage kids. Um, but I was surprised to see one of the talks was given by a professor from the Divinity School. And I went back there for seminary. I went to divinity school there. He was one of my professors. He taught systematic theology, and we all really appreciated him as a professor. Well, it turns out for 10 years, he has been teaching a course to undergrads. He's intentionally designed this course for people who may or may not have a religious perspective, but something that is universal for all kids in college. And interestingly, this course now is expanded so that people outside of Yale, anywhere, can take the course. And there's a whole movement of this course being offered in prisons. So the course is called Life Worth Living. The professor's name is Miroslav Wolf. And the point of the course is to help people explore what really matters most in life. It's not about how we live, but it's asking the question of ourselves, what are we living for? Miroslav Volf says that universities used to ask the big questions, but now they are more concerned with what he calls instrumental reason. In other words, they're concerned with getting from point A to point B, but the big question remains how to choose what will be your point B. As he puts it, where to direct the arrow of life's longing. And likewise, society has become less about ends and more about means. But we need to care about the ends. According to Wolf, our way has been privatized, meaning we make our ends a private thing. What we desire, what we dream, as opposed to seeing our lives in the context of a bigger whole, including the lives of other people. And you see, I could tell Wolf was speaking Christian ethics to a room of mostly non-Christians in language that they could understand. And Wolf pointed out that means have a tricky way of turning into ends, like, for example, money. Or in this town, we could say political power. Or Maybe the power to get clicks and likes. Those are means. They should never be ends. And he gave a chilling illustration of why we need to care about ends and not just means. The illustration was of Hitler's architect, one of the finest architects in the world at that time. And Hitler promoted him to be the head architect for the Reich. And that architect designed buildings for special purposes that were innovative and efficient but they were means for killing. And you see, the architect succeeded wildly at being an architect, but failed at being a good human. Finally, Professor Wolf said that the answer to means consists in facts, but the answer to goals consists in norms. It's one thing to figure out that if I move this way or that, a certain thing will happen, but it is upon us to ask the higher question, which way should I move? What result should I seek? What are the norms that I want to uphold and to live by and to teach to younger generations? 
Will they be norms of charity, compassion, respect, and service? Or to paraphrase Miroslav Volf's most famous book, will they be norms that move from exclusion to embrace? Will they be norms like the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, the way of love, which brings life to where death has been, which turns the world upside down to make it finally become right side up? Amen.